welcome back to another week of animation broadcast and cinema. My name is Bo Allen. My name is Jacob Rodier. And this week we are going a little bit off of what we had scheduled. I know we were supposed to talk about the thing with Paul Shear, but we are changing up a little bit. We're still doing a John Carpenter movie. We are doing Halloween this week, uh, and Paul Shear is coming on next week. So he's a busy man. We're he is a busy man. He has a lot more uh, important things to do than we do. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we will still be getting him on, uh, and we will still be talking about the thing with him. So that is very exciting and really, really great to look forward to. So this week I wanted to start off by talking about No Time to Die, which, Jacob, you have not seen yet, correct? No, I've seen it. Oh, you saw it? Oh, yeah, you did. Okay, I forgot. Yeah. My bad. You did see it. All right. Um, it did not break the box office uh, for the box office level that uh, Skyfall did, unfortunately. No, it did not. But uh, it did well. It did decent, yeah. When I, I saw it opening weekend, I saw it the Saturday night it opened. And my theater was sold out, which was awesome. Um, but when I walked in, I saw it with my parents. And majority mm -hmm. of the theater, people, it was mostly older people like i didn't see that many young people in my theater i saw it uh this is one i went to see by myself and um my theater it was i'm yet to go to a sold out movie theater again I'm, it's still very spottily filled but this was the most crowded one i've been to by far and there was a good crowd of adults but there was a good crowd of people you know around our age um my friends in my town they all of them went to see it uh over the weekend on sunday Mm. So this is, and this is the first time that's happened since like Tenet. Mm, yeah. So I, based off, you know, I guess my small sample size, I thought it was going to do pretty well because my friends really go to the movie theaters. They are streaming everything new that comes out. Um, but I think this one, like just, I think it resonates with our age group. Con or I thought it was going to resonate better, you know, across the u.s maybe it's just my friends we all really like james bond i don't know yeah i think bond is just well one it's it's a series for old people it came out way right. before our generation it was made for them it's, it's very old-fashioned but i also think people under like 30 years old just like don't really care about bond as much as the previous generation obviously but I think it's because we have so many things that are similar to Bond that we just don't really care about seeing like another action-filled popcorn flick like that. Because we have Marvel, DC, the Fast franchise, like John Wick, Mission Impossible. We have all these ones that are kind of like action-filled and very similar to Bond that I just we're so saturated that I just feel like people don't really care enough to go out and see it. But, well, my thinking was, especially with these new ones... Um... In 2005, when Casino Royale, it's like they completely retooled it for this new era. Like, these Bond movies are very, like, fitting in. These Daniel Craig Bond movies are very, they very much fit in with the way action movies look right now. Like, yeah, the older ones are completely, I, w I won't say outdated, because I think they have aged well if you like James Bond and, like, spy movies. But um, if you like the fast-paced quick cut action you're not going to get as much of that with those but these daniel craig ones that's very much what they are so i feel like it's resonated somewhat well um i wonder if when they pick a new bond whoever it may be i wonder if they're going to be able to 
retool it better and learn from this Daniel Craig uh, era and be able to make it more accessible to a younger generation or if maybe they've just somehow lost uh, the touch that it had. But I, I don't think $55 million in a pandemic is enough to say, like, the Bond franchise is dying or becoming overpowered by all this other stuff. No, well, the thing is, Bond is, like, it's never going to die. Like, they're right. already, they already knew they were searching for the next Bond before this movie even came out. Like, the Bond's just going to continue for however long into the future. So box office really doesn't matter for Bond because it's just such an iconic figure already. I wouldn't say I, I, it. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, all they're, they're going to keep going until the, I don't know. Box office doesn't seem the, to be uh, a, a factor. It's going to it's going to keep going until the money runs out, just like anything else in Hollywood. And but I mean, but this movie will, I think, uh, continue doing well. I feel like this will actually like be one of like the steadier staying numbers, you know, like how we've had like these big debuts and by big, I mean, like, 90 million, and then it drops down super hard. Like, Venom went from 90, and now it went down to 30 in its second week. So, I feel like this bond will stay around 55. Probably, if I had to guess, it'll go down to 45, if I had to guess. Yeah. Well, also, Bond does really well internationally, too. I don't know its right. international schedule if it released yet, but... It, it came out internationally before... Okay. Um, it's been doing really well in, uh, internationally, I believe. Yeah, so I think the international markets are probably what's keeping it afloat. Um, it's definitely doing some numbers over there. Uh, let's see, worldwide, it has made $326 million. Yeah, that's solid. So pretty good. Pretty good out of that one. So what are your thoughts on the movie overall? I guess we'll do spoiler-free um, for now. We'll do spoiler-free for now, but I might... We need to talk a little bit about spoilers. I, you know, I, and I've talked about it on the show, I have so much love for James Bond as a franchise and Daniel Craig in particular. Um, and literally not giving anything away just because of how much I love the, like, I just, I cried because of the, I thought the send off they gave him was great. And my parents cried. They, yeah, I mean, it's a great send-off, and they do little things throughout the movie just, like, to reference the franchise as the whole and reference his Bond and just l little tributes throughout the whole thing. And, like, it's definitely emotionally manipulative to be like, all right, do you, like, everyone knows this is Daniel Craig's last go. We're going to make you sad about it. Mm -hmm. But I thought, I mean, he's really the only Bond to, like, get a send-off like that. Like, every other one, like, it just kind of ends. But here they, like, acknowledge that. And I, that's also fitting in theme with, like, the Daniel Craig run because they very much are acknowledging, like, the stages of his life more than any, like, it's more of a plot than any other Bond movie ever, you know, any other Bond actor. And they constantly are like, What's he thinking about? What's he feeling? Like, oh, in Skyfall, he's getting older. Inspector, he's getting older still. In No Time to Die, he's getting older still. But there's no time to die. He's got to save the world. Like, um, And so, of course, it's going to be more... Uh, it's going to acknowledge more that his run is coming to an end because it's been very present the whole time of, of uh, his run as a Bond, you know, of his journey as a Bond. Yeah, I agree. I definitely thought the movie did a great job of his send-off and like saying goodbye to the Daniel Craig era. However, though, on the flip side, I did like it as a James Bond movie, but it was, it was a little messy for me. Um, I felt 
Rami Malek was just like incredibly miscast or his character just wasn't used well because I didn't really care about the villain or the stakes at all. Um, I don't know if it's because like all these movies now are just like the stakes are incredibly high where it's just like it's a world ending disease or whatever. It's just like we want to destroy the world and everyone and it's so big that like it doesn't even matter anymore because like I don't know. I feel like if that had even like smaller stakes, it would have been greater, if that makes sense. I don't know. I just felt it was a little messy, the whole Rami Malik bit. Um, I didn't really care about the villain as much. But I did think the action scenes were super well done. It was a fun and entertaining watch. It was some awesome action. That first uh, action scene in the beginning, because, you know, Bonds always have a big opener, was really, really good. I was My jaw was like on the ground that whole time. It was beautiful whole- scenery, too. Yeah, the whole end, you know, the whole climax and following action, I was, my jaw was on the ground. It looked awesome. Um, Remy Malik's backstory and, like, ambitions aren't super clear. Like, I'm never really sure exactly what he wants. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, they kind of try to tell you, but, like, they don't really, it doesn't make any sense. But I thought he was... I don't, I wouldn't say I don't think he was miscast. I don't think they did his character very well, but I think he was good as like the goatee like stroking like Bond villain like you know who's going to have like a huge compound and is super rich and is just like, "Ah, Mr. Bond, I see you've infiltrated my lair, you know." Yeah, he was kind of an interesting character like he was wearing the robes, he like sat down like crisscross on pillows while he ate. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was like, interesting. I wish they explored it more, especially since they had two hours and 40 minutes of runtime. Like, I feel like they could have done more with it, you know? They could have. But also, there, there, there is a, a thing where, like, you don't know much about Bond villains. You just know they want to take over the world. Which I think is another another thing this that uh, particular run with Daniel Craig has strayed away from. Which, like, you know, with Javier Bardem's character, you knew why he was doing what he was doing. With Mads Mikkelsen you knew why he was doing what he was doing, and then that rolled itself into um, Quantum of Solace, where the villain there, who was not very good, but you knew it was connected to Mads Mikkelsen and all this other stuff. So, and then all of that was connected to Spectre and Spectre, so, like, they give background, so I think it was weird for them to go back to this, like, this guy's evil just to be evil thing, you know? Like, it didn't fit with the rest of the franchise. Um... Yeah, Christoph. But, uh, I mean, Christoph Waltz. I actually, I loved him in this. I thought he was great. What a comeback! I mean, not yeah. like he ever went anywhere, but he was not. I didn't like him in Spectre, but he was awesome in this movie. I also thought his build-up was really well done when they went into that prison or wherever they were, and right. you, you see the long hallway, and he's slowly approaching, and the music's like amping up, and they're getting nervous, and um, I forget the name of the female character, Leah. Sedu. Yeah, Leah Sedu's character. But she gets all nervous and wants to, like, run out. And right. It's It was so intense. I was getting, like, antsy. Like, what's going to happen, you know? Well, they, they used him so much better in this movie. Yeah. So much better. Like, and that's the way you do use Kristoff is, like, unless it's, like, a Django. Like, if he's supposed to be menacing, like, you don't show him necessarily a ton. But when you do, it's in, like, these, like, quiet scenes where he, like, you he, he has the upper hand. But you don't really, really realize that until the end. Yeah. And it's always great. I mean, he's 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 fantastic. My favorite um, action scenes in this were definitely. I mean, this isn't spoilers. It's just I'm showing. I'm naming scenes. The forest scene. I thought the forest scene was incredible ooh, with all the fog ooh. and just 
him like sneaking through everything and Heater. setting up these traps. It was so well done and so well shot. And another big one I thought was the staircase scene. The staircase scene when he's walking up. Um, oh the yeah, complex. That was great. And that was awesome. all the people were coming down. That was like a tight staircase, and they did it in like one shot for most of it. I noticed. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was so well done. It kind of reminded me of the Daredevil staircase scene. Right. Um, that's what I was thinking about too. Yeah, but yeah, those two are really well done and amazing to watch. Daniel Craig's obviously uh, he's an action star for sure. Um, I thought the scenes with uh, Anna de Armas and Cuba were oh, great. Oh yeah, she was in my opinion, she was the best part of the movie. Even though she was only in it for ten minutes, I thought she was easily that whole scene was like the best part. She was yeah, so she was, much fun. She was really fun. She I'm had just glad, so, I'm, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I'm fi- I'm totally fine with her using her in that small with to- with them using her in that small role to like just like kind of drop in and just like shoot ten for ten from the field and hit a half court shot and then like go out for the rest of the game like I loved it <laughs> like that's totally fine by me. All right, we had a slight malfunction. We are back now. What uh what were we what were we talking the about? The amazing Anna de Armas. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, uh, that little, sh- it was like kind of a shot of life where the movie, you know, it, it, it was kind of hitting a slower point and then uh, it's like she came in uh, like around halfway through and, uh, or towards the first, end of the first third and just like injected some life into it and then we hit it, hit going again and then just took off for the rest of the movie. It was awesome. Yeah, I loved, I thought she was a great action star too. Like that one shot of mm-hmm. her, it was like overhead when she was like lying on the ground, shooting everyone from like different positions. That was so well done. She just had so much charisma and, and just had so much fun with the James Bond character. Um, I don't know, I could watch a whole movie like that. But I totally understand why and, they didn't oh. continue having her in the film because they want to focus on James Bond, obviously. Right. And, um, you know, obviously she's going to have chemistry with Daniel Craig because of Knives Out. They've worked together before, and I'm assuming they're friends. I don't know why she would want to do another movie with him if they didn't. Well, actually, did they shoot this before Knives Out? Because they shot this a long time ago. I don't think they shot it before Knives Out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Because this was supposed to come out after Knives Out anyways. Yeah, I guess. Um, Yeah, Um, either way, they had great chemistry. But, and then uh, Lashana Lynch, I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, in the 007, new 007. It was fantastic. Yeah, she worked well with James um, Bond, too. And she was a great, I mean, she was an action star, too. She was awesome. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to continue using her in the new ones, in the reboot. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking about, too, because they set it up like she would be used. Yeah. But... Apparently, I didn't stay. I didn't expect something at the end of the credits, but apparently, at the end of the credits, it said James Bond will return, not 007 will return. If it said 007 will return, I would have thought, all right, Lashana Lynch is going to get like a franchise. Mm -hmm. But it said James Bond, and obviously, her name isn't going to be James Bond. We know what her name is. Well, we also know they're actively looking for a new James Bond, too. And they're looking for a new one. But. Uh, didn't Amazon like buy James like the James Bond franchise or something? Maybe I don't know. They had I, some some company made some deal for James Bond, and I was like, all right, well maybe they'll do a spinoff TV show or something. But that wouldn't. But 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 when they get a new Bond, it's gonna be a new continuity. I'm assuming that's how this always works. Mm-hmm. It's not. 
it's always like a new world. So why would they stick to the Daniel Craig world? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, I think if... Yeah, I just don't see how they're going to transfer like one or two characters over, but not everyone else. So I think they're just going to have to yeah. start completely fresh. And she just had this nice little role. Um, Jeffrey Wright was great as Felix Leiter, as usual. Yeah. This was my favorite Felix Leiter appearance, and I like that character a lot. Um, yeah, he was great. He had a lot of fun, too. <laughs> he was super... Yeah, he was... I mean, he came in, and he was his only job was to have a ball. <laughs> he was... And he was. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I liked the movie a lot. Um, I think, and it's been getting some kind of, uh, a lot of like James Bond fans kind of either love or hate this one, which I guess I understand, but I don't see too many negatives with it. I thought it was great. I thought um, it did a great job of the send off. And I think that's the most important part uh, with ending this mm-hmm. James Bond, uh, era, but it obviously was messy. It had some mistakes and errors throughout, but it was fun. It, the action was great, and that's what matters the most, I think. Um, now I need the Denny even away. James Bond. Yeah, he said he was interested, so that would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, moving on to something a little bit more on topic for the movie we have today. Uh, they released some posters and set photos and trailers for Scream, the new Scream movie. I watched which the trailer. I'm assuming is you did. Yeah. So that means you don't really care for it. <laughs> exactly. Scream. Yeah. Uh, I have never. Have you seen all the? I've not seen any Scream before ever. So oh. I have like no connection to this. So I was like, yeah, I'll watch this trailer. I'm probably not going to see it. But I don't know. It was interesting. Oh. The only thing I resemble with scream is that everyone had those masks for halloween in middle school literally everyone that was like the halloween costume they're iconic yeah it's iconic um you gotta watch scream dude wes craven like best since freddy krueger the original scream is a like a reset point for slashers which is um something we should probably save for later but Oh god, it's so good, and I'm so excited for this new one. Just because, like, I know it's just like, you know, these big studios running out of ideas. So they're like, we're gonna do a, a fifth Scream movie, and I'm like, yes, feed it to me. I'm it's scratching my lizard brain itch for more slashers. I'm totally fine. And with from it. the trailer, I think I got that some of the old cast is coming back and is in this one. Uh, yeah, the three main, I mean, Nev Campbell, uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette are all returning, which is awesome. They're the three, you know, main folks from the original one. Uh, Jack Quaid is in this one. Marley Shelton is in this one who might have been in the originals. I don't remember. Her character's name seems familiar to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, she was in Scream 4. Okay, that makes sense. I remember. That's why I remember her. Um, it's going to be fantastic, I think. And yeah, I have no there, connection, it, so. Dude, you got to watch the... You'll love the original Screams. I'm starting to get into the slashers. Halloween, I know, now, so we'll see. Uh, it's so good. Um, I don't know much about the guys who are directing it. I know one of them did uh, that movie Ready or Not. That came out in 2019. Yeah, I remember that. I never saw it. Um, oh, no, they bo- Oh, I guess they're a directing team. They do it together, I guess. They did it together. Um, I loved it, and I thought it was a really new, like, kind of fresh take on a, on a 
horror comedy, and it's super entertaining um, and really, really funny. And so that's kind of like been a rewatchable movie for me. I watched it once, and then I think I watched it again on like a plane to Vegas, and I was like, yep, still good. And uh, that's a fun, fun movie. So I'm sure they're Scream is a fun franchise, so I'm sure they're going to have a great time with it. Um, yeah, that looks like a solid horror movie. I can't wait. Um, I and so uh, there was another movie news come more movie news coming out. Uh, James Gunn confirmed that Will Poulter will be in the new uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie as Adam Warlock, who he has teased now twice, I think, in Guardians. Movies. Yeah, he was in the end credits of one, right? He he wasn't, but Adam Warlock. Like, yeah, not Will Poulter. Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock wasn't in it it was like this chrysalis that he goes into and like adam warlock's a weird character <laughs> but yeah so um, i know nothing about this guy do you want to give like a short bio on him he uh, i'm trying to find i'm like looking up one up right now just to make sure i get it right so he's like he's super super powerful and he hangs out you know more in the in, in space he's not he's not one of the ones from mm-hmm. earth and he he, uh, I can't, let's see, scientists on Earth calling themselves the Enclave created an artificial perfect human who initially calls himself him. After rebelling against his creators and having a conflict with Thor, he decides to leave Earth and travels into space. And he literally just travels through space and goes on all these, like, adventures. And I, he's, I can't even tell you what his powers is. He's like a god. He is pretty much just a god. Interesting. It's... Here are his abilities. Superhuman strength, speed, agility, and durability. Flight, um, energy manipulation and absorption, matter manipulation, and expert in magic. All right. That's pretty stacked. Yeah. And, I mean, he he's a, he's one of the most powerful Marvel characters, I believe. And so I'm really... He has some history with the soldier. Do you think he's going to have more impact than just the Guardians of the Galaxy movies? You think he's going to go into like the MCU? Oh yeah. It it would be weird for them not to use him a ton. That's great. I love Will Poulter as an actor. He's a, I think he's a great actor. He was awesome in Midsommar. Obviously, he's known for Where the Millers, which is a comedy, which he which he's hilarious in. He was so good in that. Um, I saw him in I always think Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Keep, no, no, no. I was going to say, um, Detroit. Movie. I saw Detroit. That's a heavy, dark movie, but he was great in that. Um, I saw him in The Maze Runner, which The Maze Runner itself was, eh, just because I love the books. I saw those movies. Um, he was fine in. But, yeah, he's a great actor, and I think he'll do incredibly well in a Marvel movie. Um, I always think of him as the really, really annoying kid from the Chronicles of Narnia movie. Yes, he is in that, too. Yeah, and he does kind of yeah, have so, that, like... Oof that face where he kind of looks a little like evil, you know, he fits like a villain. Well, I, I could totally see him playing all, a villain more than a hero. Checking all of this stuff, uh, his IMDb right now. I feel like he's been in a ton of movies, but he, he really hasn't. No, he, he keeps he's, his um, filmography very limited. Chronicles of Narnia and then the maze runner. I mean, he's got, and we're the Millers and he's got things in between. He was in the Revenant. He was in the Revenant. Yeah, um, that War Machine movie, Detroit, like you mentioned, the, another Maze Runner sequel, um, Black, Beer, Black Mirror, the uh, interactive movie thing, which I thought he was good oh, in, yeah. uh, Midsommar, and then 
you know, a couple of other, other things, but I don't really see him as much as I thought I had. Well, now he's about to blow he's, up. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I was talking to somebody else about this. I wonder if he's, like, going to bulk up for it or if he's, like, I wouldn't mind, like, Adam Warlock just being, like, some random super skinny but, like, really, really powerful dude. Like, he comes out of the chrysalis that they teased in the end and he's just, like, skinny and then just starts throwing people around like that would be kind of dope yeah but i can also see him if he bulked and like uh, worked out a shit ton i could see him being scary like super scary oh yeah so it could go either way um i mean with james gunn i feel like he always tries to go for a joke <laughs> that's true it is james gunn so <laughs> we might be getting uh a, a little joke like yeah, that. i could totally see um, like the first reveal of him and he's just super skinny and like um, Gru and uh, what's the raccoon's name? I always forget. Rocket. Rocket. Um, they start like laughing hysterically at how like weak and he looks. Be good joke. Just gets they get thrown across the room. <laughs> um, all right. So we hit No Time to Die, and we've both seen that. What other movies did you watch this week? What did I watch? I watched the thing to prepare for uh, the Paul Shear, which we'll do next week. So I won't say anything about that. Good job. <laughs> That was my first time watching. That was my first uh, introduction to John Carpenter, which is cool. I really liked it. We'll get more into that later. Um, I saw Lamb in theaters, which was, the more I think about it, the more I like it. It's It was very okay. different than what I expected. It's not horror at all. I think the trailer is totally um, misdirected. It kind of just, I don't know why it goes that direction. I think it's just easier to market horror. I don't know. This is more just like a, a drama mystery. It's a lot. It's a slow burn. It's dread. It doesn't get as weird as I thought it was gonna be because A twenty four likes to get weird with their films. It it does go there, but it doesn't go as far as I thought. They kept it pretty grounded. Um, but I liked it a lot, and I think it's definitely worth watching. They leave it pretty open ended, and there's a lot of ways you can interpret it. Um. Yeah. I've so. I, since we watched Hereditary, I have seen No Time to Die, obviously. I watched the 1960 French film Breathless. Mm, that's um, on my list. Which, yes, I noticed that, and I watched it first, <laughs> and I was like, yes, beat him. Um, which is really good. It's a really influential movie, actually, and you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, it's, the director is kind of, like, credited with, like, creating the jump cut it was directed by Jean-Luc Godard and um it, it's it's a fantastic movie and a really interesting story um and that's as pretentious as this gets um I watched uh Argo I did a little rewatch there because I noticed it was on HBO Max and I was like ah, I don't remember loving this movie and re I remember being mad at like one best picture and I gave it another shot it was definitely a lot better this time around. The last time I saw it was when it was in theaters. I still don't know if it deserved to win that Oscar, but, you know, whatever. And then I've also been watching, like, some DC animated movies. Uh, and then I also, for the first time last night, watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. And really, really fun movie. I've always been told it's a really fun movie and a really fun... And it's a musical, which... We've been ragging on musicals, and then I've gone back to say, like, oh, this one's good. Um, this one's really, really good. Um, and I think it's a good example of what a musical, like, should be, especially a Hollywood musical. Because um, it, it's perfect for the screen. And I think um, they had the original playwright 
like change it for movies because it was heavily movie uh, inspired. Like he said, he wrote it um, based off like comedies that he saw growing up as a kid and loved, and horror movies and sci-fi movies. And he wrapped that all up into a musical, and then it got the option to be a movie, and he was all about. So he was able. I've never seen this, but he's never. He was able to blend horror and the musical genre together. Like, was, um, it, was it actually little, scary? I, mean, I feel like if it's a musical, it couldn't be scary. It definitely tries to creep you out. Um, I would. It's more of a comedy than it is a horror. It's like a horror comedy. It takes horror aspects, but I, it's good. It's really good. I wouldn't call it a horror, um, but it's super entertaining. And Tim Curry is a freaking master he's i've always loved him uh in clue and it and he's done just tons of really really great roles and he's so good in rocky horror picture show nice yeah have to check it out uh speaking of dc um stuff i've been watching the harley quinn show on hbo oh yeah that is really good that blew me away when i first saw it because i just I've only been exposed to the big ones, like all the the movie. Um, I never really got into like the shows. I know there's a bunch of them. I've only kind of like stuck to the movies. So I had no idea that should that these type of characters could get like this raunchy and this violent and this like vulgar. Mm-hmm. Like Harley Quinn's just like so and it's so her character, but it's so not what I expected from. I don't know, just from DC in general. So it kind of blew me away in that aspect, and it's also just a, a phenomenal show in general. Yeah, it's it's that show is really really good. It's it's a different take on a lot of the characters, and obviously it's the most true to Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Um, I love like the choices they make with other characters. It's not one you're gonna like watch if you want to learn more about like a bat like Batman or the Joker or even like. Clayface or King Shark, like you'll learn a little bit about those characters, but like it's just straight up great Harley Quinn stuff, great Poison Ivy stuff. Um, and then they kind of turn the rest of the characters into like walls for them to bounce off of. I yeah. think um, it's really, really great. Uh, and I think everybody was kind of shocked by that show and how good it ended up being because I remember thinking like I, I, when it came out, I was like, ah, it's definitely not something I'm too interested in watching. Because also around that time, like, the DC stuff hadn't been great. And I was like, oh, we just got that bad Suicide Squad movie. Like, I don't have a really great Harley Quinn, you know, opinion right now. I'm not too interested in this. And then I finally watched it, I think, last year. And I went through both seasons in, like, a week. And I was like, all right, give me more. Let's get to it. Yeah, I have, like, two more episodes to go, but... Yeah, I'm investing in the story, too. Like, not even just, like, the action and the comedy and stuff. That's all obviously great, but the storyline's really good, too. I'm invested. Um, it's so fun. I'm excited to see where the they go. The story is awesome. Me, too. I can't also, wait. Also, phenomenal my... voice acting, too. Oh, yeah, it's really, really Kaylee good. Kaylee Cuoco um, is great I'm... as uh, Harley Kaylee Quinn. Kaylee is great. Um, Alan Tudyk does Clayface and some other voices. He's always a good voice actor. I have had so much fun with that show. Yeah. Um, Jason Alexander is so funny as the uh, landlord. What's the guy's name? I forget his name. Beyond the wheelchair? The, yeah, cyborg yeah. guy. And he is hilarious. 
um, the old CIA agent, the retired CIA agent. He's so funny. <laughs> Jay Salazar is funny and everything. Seinfeld on Netflix now. Um, <laughs> that's my plug. Um, and then just one last thing we have on our list here for before we go into our movie. The new Halloween comes out tomorrow, but this will go up tomorrow, so it comes out today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am pumped for this movie. I know that you just watched Halloween for the first time last night, yep. and so you're probably not as pumped as I am. Uh, the 2018 one is really good. I will I will say that. I, That's I, the reboot of not, the one we're about to review, right? It's not a reboot. Okay. It is... Rob Zombie did a reboot. Um, and that is weird, So it's all a continuation. So there's a Halloween, and then Halloween 2, and then Halloween 3, which has nothing to do with Michael Myers, then Halloween 4, and it just goes on and on and on. And then, But then the 2018 one is a direct sequel to the original, the one that we just watched. Okay. So you can't... I, I mean... I would watch the others just because they're dumb, fun slashers, and that's something that I enjoy. Um, I would definitely watch the second one actually because it's it's not as good as the first, but like it's it it tells you more about Michael Myers, which is something that you said you wanted. Um, the twenty eighteen one doesn't tell you as much about Michael Myers, but it tells you more about it gives you more like stuff about Lori and where she's been since this like event happened to her, and so I thought it was uh, I, I just thought it was a great. Um, follow up the 2018 one and I'm excited to see where they take it uh, and the one that comes out tomorrow and I am going to see it Thursday night 7 o'clock I'm going to be in the first showing in Athens, Georgia I cannot wait nice hour and a half I'll be uh, hour and a half perfect time you know I'm, I'm all over it can't wait sweet alright you ready to move on let's get into it alright we are going to be right back, and we're going to talk about Halloween. Hey everybody, it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1, and they... Uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, they have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. And we are back, and we are here to talk to you about John Carpenter's, I think, masterpiece. Jacob may not think so. Uh, ha Halloween. I mean, invented slasher movies. This was what the first? What do you want? Pre kind of, unless you... I think Texas Chainsaw came out first, but this was... We can get into this a little bit more in a second, but it kind of... It, it, it created slasher as we know it today. Um, mm. But before we get to that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who's in this movie and who directed it and what it's about? 
Yeah, so this is John Carpenter, the John Carpenter, who also did The Thing. He's done a bunch of Halloween, um, Escape from New York. They live a bunch of, of horror movies. Um, this was my second movie, like I said before, my introduction to him before I saw The Thing. Um, but this movie in particular uh, is 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night in 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to a small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. Um, this stars Tony Moran as Michael Myers, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie, um, Donald Pleasance as the Dr. Loomis. Nancy Kyes as Amy, um, PJ Souls as Linda. Um, it's basically the main cast. Kyle Richards as yep. Lindsay, and uh, Charles Cyphers as Brackett. So, real quick, Tony Moran is billed as Michael Myers, but he's Michael Myers when the mask comes off. The guy who actually played Michael Myers is Nick Castle. They call him. He's just known as the Shape, which is when he has the mask on. Oh, I wonder why they changed it. Um, they did. I mean, they didn't change it. They like Michael Myers is when he has the mask off. But that's something else we could talk about in a in a in a little bit. Right. Um, just as a reception, this movie was uh, a it was a hit. It started off. It didn't get huge like out of the gate money, but it made forty seven million dollars worldwide. Uh, well, actually, worldwide, it was just the U.S. and Canada release. Um, on a budget of 325000 of which John Carpenter only saw 10000 which that is a tiny, tiny budget for a movie. Um, yeah, I don't even... I, I think that IMDb number is wrong, honestly. I don't even know if, the, if it was that much. But nobody even working on this movie expected it to be a hit. Um, I don't want to get so much into the review of the themes of this movie because I think that's something we can save later, but I will say about the like aesthetics of it, Roger Ebert said, it's easy to create violence on screen, but it's hard to do it well. Carpenter is uncannily skilled, for example, at the use of foregrounds and his compositions, and everyone who likes thrillers knows that foregrounds are crucial. Um, and I mean, it. There, if you, you have your own opinions about this movie, but you can't say that it definitely especially for the time, doesn't do its job of like putting pretty good kills and uh, action-filled moments on the screen. Yeah, and I agree. It was shot beautifully. They used uh, John... what's called anamorphic lenses for this, and that's what creates that mm -hmm. nice like lens flare that you see throughout. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was beautifully shot and composed super nicely. I mean, John Carpenter is a hell of a director. He loves anamorphic lenses because he used a lot of it on the thing, too. A lot of lens flares. Um, so... One quick thing about a little, a little John Carpenter talk, actually. Um, I don't, I don't want to make it quick because I love John Carpenter. Um, he is from, like, I think Bowling Green, Kentucky. He was born in the state of New York, but I think he grew up in Kentucky. And so he's a super small-town guy, and, like, his parents were music teachers at Bowling Green University, and I think they had, like, a cottage on campus. I could be misremembering that wrong. But I know he grew up around music and grew up, like, being encouraged to be, like, super creative and all this stuff. And he used to, like, have handheld cameras and make uh, movies with his friends. And he went to uh, Bowling Green for a while. Well, Western Kentucky, which is in Bowling Green. And then um, he ended up going to USC to do filmmaking. 
and he like was like a couple grades below like Spielberg and George Lucas and those guys who like all met at USC and he like knew them but wasn't super tight with them but he was in that same era like you know same realm as those guys which is just crazy that so many of the greatest directors of all time like came out of that um one kind of class at USC I think that's insane um and so he made Assault on Precinct 13, and that got shown at some film festivals, and uh, at one in Europe in particular, these guys took notice of it and were like, hey, we want you to help make this horror movie. He and his girlfriend uh, at the time, Deborah Hill, wrote the script, um, and they wrote the script in like three weeks, and then they shot the movie in 20 days on a shoestring budget. They were like... They like spray painted leaves to make them brown because they shot it in California in the fall and it was supposed to be Illinois. That's amazing. Or they shot it in the spring and it was supposed to be, you know, Illinois in the fall. They spray painted leaves I and love not that. only that, they reused leaves. After they would shoot a scene like at one location, they'd pick them up and put them in bags and then spread them wherever else they were supposed to go. Oh well, yeah. It's I'm not gonna waste it's... leaves like that. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. And because they're in California, they don't have leaves like that. Like mm. uh, there's a couple times where they mess up and you like see palm trees. Yeah. Um He based a lot of it off of like his own life, I think. Like the small town elements and I think there's a rumor that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode is named after an ex-girlfriend of his from uh, Bowling Green, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, and then, so in terms of the script writing, I think one thing that sets this apart is Deborah Hill's dialogue. She was a you know a babysitter in high school, um, and then Carpenter had her do the writing for the movie, and like she knows obviously how these teenage girls are going to talk, how they're going to act, what they're going to do, especially when they're babysitting, like, on a Halloween night. Like, I think that's something that makes it so, like, realistic, I thought. Yeah, I thought, I thought the writing was pretty well done. There was one line, which I'll, I'll save, just had me die laughing. It was so ridiculous. It's so Do funny. it now. Just do it now. Okay, so it was at the part where um, it was Lori, Annie and Lindsay, they're walking home from school i think or whatever and they see michael myers drive by and he was driving <laughs> by fast and uh i think it was annie was like slow down or whatever and then she said speed kills yeah yeah he said that that's not the line though and then he like sped off and then <laughs> she i think annie just goes i hate a guy with a car who has no sense of humor yeah <laughs> like what what does that mean <laughs> Just man, it's the seventies. When guys had cars, it's like you know, it's one level of attractiveness. But if they don't have a sense of humor, what's the point? What's the point of them having a car? Yeah, that, just had, that line just had me died laughing because I mean, I'm just like, what? That makes no sense. But I, um, I get in the time, it, it definitely made more sense. Yeah, I think I think that one might not really <laughs> might not land as well for us, but it is a funny line, and he's a funny character. Um, I'm not allowed. I can't not have a sense of humor and have a car yeah it's unattractive um no the point the, never mind all right we're gonna move on <laughs> um so a little bit more john carpenter stuff here um he went on a field trip i think when he was in high school i believe and it was to a mental like institution like they took his class to his mental institution and he saw 
a adolescent boy, like a young child, who had a blank schizophrenic stare, he said. And, I mean, that obviously, the I, that is where the idea came from of what if this kid is pure evil and murders his sister for no apparent reason and then he just grows up? What's that kid going to look like? Mm. It's pretty much what's that kid in the mental asylum who spends his life in the mental asylum going to look like when he comes out? What is he going to do? Yeah. And what, Which, uh, we, can, and we can go right into the movie. The opening shot I thought was right. so, so well done. One, because I love the POV handheld aspect of it. Just, it was so creepy and I don't know, it was done so well. Just like going through the house, sneaking outside the house, going in. Um, it was kind of like silent in the beginning, gave like an eerie vibe. And then it's the music came in. Um, but also because I had no idea it was a kid. I thought it was like this grown ass guy or, or it was like the Michael Myers um, that's in the rest of the movie. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like fine, whatever. And then it, it pops out of the POV and it reveals the kid and my jaws dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the kid who just killed this person? Like what? It's really effective. Yeah. Um, and the POV is just so smart to do it in that way to not reveal that it's a kid. There's a couple things I love about that besides the fact that it's just a really, really well done long take. Um, so I'm well a sucker done. for a good long take. Oh, yeah. um, it's, it's just like, I'm like, yeah, you're a good director. Show me a long take. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And so um, just a, lot, a bunch of little things I like about that are um, the hand that comes up and grabs it. I like how it shows you. It's clearly, well, it's, it does, it's not clearly a child's hand. It's Deborah Hill's hand that grabs the knife off the counter, actually. Oh. She's like crawling under the camera and then puts her hand up and grabs it and pulls it down. Nice. Um, and so... Uh, I thought that was great. That's a great little, like, funny little anecdote. And then when that happens, the first time I watched it, I remember being like, wait, what? Was that, what, what hand was that? Because I thought it was going to be a, an, a, like, a, you know, a monster, a big, a, he's huge when you see these pictures of Michael Myers. Like, you think he's going to be this big guy, and then you, you realize he's, like, kind of below the counter, and I'm like, oh, is he crouching? And then the hand comes up, and it looks like a child's hand, and you're like, it, it kind of made me do a double take, but I never paid too much attention to it um i also think that's something designed to catch like the next time you go around mm. um the mask over the camera where you see through his eyes yeah, really i well thought is really effective um and that's like and you know it's obviously supposed to be like the birth of like the mask and speaking of the mask this whole difference of the shape and michael is like Michael is when he doesn't have the mask on. The shit, like, that's, I guess that's a person. You see him, Laurie pulls the mask off of him, and that's when Dr. Loomis shoots him. But the shape with the mask on is this, ear, like, the, you can totally tell there's a difference in fear level, I think, when that mask comes off and you see his real face versus when he's got it on. Even when he puts it back on, he's still so much scarier when he's the shape. That's Yeah, I mean, he I takes it, it off for, like, two seconds in the whole movie yeah um it gets pulled off of him i was really fascinated times. by that i'm like let me see more of his face i want to see more and he puts it right back on um both times it's pulled off of him he never willingly takes it off yeah it makes sense uh, but back to the uh, opening shot one thing that this is very it's a minor critique but it's so ridiculous when you think about it is that um obviously in the pov of the kid and we see the couple inside like making out and like go upstairs to have sex 
But by the time they go upstairs to have sex and he walks through the house, it's like one minute. <laughs> and the guy already left and it's out the door. <laughs> so that means this dude had I was one minute sex. It was like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> Super fast. I was, I was wondering if you were going to notice that or if I was going to hit it. Yeah, it's really funny. And I don't know if that's just like they didn't even think about it or if they were like, yeah, we're going to have this dude, like, be a real high schooler, and it's going to be 30 seconds. And <laughs> it was so fast. And he's not going to care. He's just going to run out of the door. Like, it's, like he's, like, an 18-year-old. Like, that's what happens. Yeah, like, like no pillow so talk. He's just out of there. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, and I don't know if that was, like, on purpose. I'm assuming it was that rarely things happen in movies by accident. I think that's just a, a hilarious little joke. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um... There's a, I mean, I can't even begin to list the number of things, little things I love about this movie. One thing I really liked is um, Annie's, the kill of, I think she's the first real one besides the sister, right? Annie is in the car. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. The first on screen one. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, the door is locked, obviously. She runs inside to get the keys. She comes back. She has the key in her hand and opens the door and it opens. And yeah. like, that's a blink and you miss it thing. Like you won't even think about it. And then when you watch it again, you're like, Oh my, it's cause Michael is in that car in the back seat. Why is the, oh, why is the window fogged up? And then whoom, he sits up and that music hits hard and he chokes her to death. It's awesome. One thing about that death scene that I didn't like was Annie's face was so distracting when she was dying. I thought it was so bad. Her like facial reaction when she was like sliding down the window. <laughs> it just looks so fake. Yeah, they should have choked her for real. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it, just like hide her face more or something. But her facial, like, you could just see her just be like, <laughs> I don't know if I ever noticed that. I, it was so um, distracting to me. Like I, I noticed immediately that like it was. I mean, obviously it's fake, but like it took me out of it for a second. I was like, come on, you can do better than this. Um, Lin, what is it? Lindsay's boyfriend, uh, Linda's boyfriend, the kill there. When he pins him to the wall with the knife. Yeah, I still thought that was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it never happened. Pin someone uh, up with a, a knife? Obviously, the me. knife would not be, even be long enough to go through his body and into the cabinet. <laughs> you don't understand the point of slashers. I can't do slashers with you. They're supposed to be fun and have cool kills. Gah. Yeah, I think I was taking it a little too seriously when I was watching it. but You gotta turn your brain off a little bit. And also remember, this, essentially, this movie... Is literally like a group of friends making this movie. Nick Castle, the and I, and I think Tony Moran. Nick Castle, I know though, was in a band with John Carpenter. Like they were just in a band together, and that at USC, and that's how they met. That's cool. And Nick Castle was apparently always hanging out on set, <laughs> and um, <laughs> John Carpenter was like, "Hey, if you're here, do you want to be on the movie? All you have to do is like wear this mask and like walk across the street." And, like, walk around and then, like, fake stab somebody. And he's like, yeah, sure, might as well. <laughs> and they paid him $20 a day. They paid Michael Myers $20 a day to be on that set. Well, was that a lot back then? No. <laughs> what? I don't know. It was the 70s, not, like, the 40s. No, I know, but it's Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know how much it's changed. No. Um, they just, it was basically just, uh, like, a little, like, lunch money for him mm-hmm. to hang out. <laughs> um, That's great. Which I think is awesome. I mean, they essentially all became like really close friends, but they all thought the movie was gonna flop. Um, I mean, I Jamie can totally Lee, see why. 
Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis was cast. Uh, he didn't know really who she was, and then somebody like was like, "Oh, why not Jamie Lee Curtis? She's on this TV show." But she wasn't like famous by any means, and she wasn't booking any roles. And then I think she was about to like get kicked off the TV show, and then Car- John Carpenter calls her. The main reason he hired her was because she's Janet Lee's daughter, the woman who gets killed in the shower in Psycho. Right. Yeah, and I had no was idea. Like, I was talking about this. I had no idea that this was Jamie Lee Curtis while watching. And I think that's right. because I only know her with having short hair and obviously a lot older, and I haven't seen any of her younger stuff. Just like my first experience of that. So I didn't know until I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, that's Jamie Lee Curtis. And then I could totally mm-hmm. see it the rest of the movie because she had such a distinct face. This movie is what put her into like stardom and i think also like i could be misremembering this wrong too i think she cut her hair because i think at a point there was a point where she was sick of being the the girl from halloween oh interesting Ah. i i could be totally misremembering that um but yeah she was i thought she was the best part of this movie she she was great oh she's so good and um that's something else i have written down here she is the birth of like the horror trope of the scream queens and the final girl like Mm. um amy nicholson does this really good podcast on the history of halloween uh i think you should definitely check it out it's totally the type of thing you would like um and it's done on the ringer network and she talks about the history of these scream queens if you want to take it back all the way janet lee is the first one in psycho Mm. like who like these characters were like essentially the only thing that they're supposed to do there is scream that's what they're known for but uh i think it get it got muddled i think uh laurie strode was was more than that obviously and it became later on very muddled to where like it's called you know they're called scream queens and all they wanted wanted them to do was scream and on top of inventing that uh, she invented the final girl trope, which is something that is hap- happens all the time in slashers, and it's almost always like, oh, the girl who doesn't have sex, doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs, like, is going to be the last girl left in the movie, and uh, she's going to outsmart the slasher. I didn't right? pick up on the that. The final girl, yeah. But, so here's where it differs, is that's not what John Carpenter was doing. He wasn't trying to do some, like, holier than thou like oh the virgin the morally correct one is the one that's gonna survive the movie that's not what he was going for he was going for uh uh, here i have the quote right here or just about it's about (laughs) people were like oh it's all this stuff about how these girls like are morally bankrupt and that means they like it's john carpenter saying they don't deserve to live and all this stuff like uh just like a psycho somebody calls it a psychosexual fury all this crazy stuff and (laughs) um he carpenter distanced himself from these interpretations saying it has been suggested that i was making some kind of moral statement believe me i'm not in halloween i viewed these characters simply as normal teenagers these kids are having sex because they're kids and that's what they do that's what teenagers do they get drunk they had and they have sex and they smoke weed and they talk to each other on the phone. Like, it's not some grand statement that all these people are trying to make it into. And on top of that, Laurie Strode, while she is, her character is a virgin, she's not some, like, morally pure person. She smokes weed in the car on the way home with Annie. I love that scene, by the way. It was gorgeously right. shot. But that's something that a lot of people forget about, like, that she's, like, 
not some morally... She's just a normal person who happened to be a virgin. That's what it is. And I think it's more of the, like, oh, the quieter one ended up being the strongest one to, you know, conquer Michael Myers or survive Michael Myers because Michael Myers isn't even beaten by the end. Um, but this is where... And I... I I, real, real quick, I was going to do a solo pod on this and post it before, like, because I could totally, like, I'm glad I have you to bounce off of, but I was, like, ready to, like, ramble on about this. You're not going to include me? You're going to take me out for an episode? Well, I was going to do the Paul Shear stuff, and then I just wanted to do a History of Halloween pod, Mm. um, because I was, like, all amped up to watch the new one, and I was like, I need to just talk about this, and you hadn't seen it. You're right, Um, you're right. And I didn't want to make you do two pods in a week, so... Fair enough. But uh, we ended up getting lucky. So, this movie birthed slashers. Uh, 100%. I mean, some people say Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came first, but it didn't do it quite this way. It didn't have... It wasn't suburban. That's one of the biggest things, is. The idea... This came out around the time of, like, Ted Bundy and all these serial killers and stuff, and they were getting in people's, like, neighborhoods and getting normal, you know, quote-unquote normal people, middle America. And so when John Carpenter brought this serial killer to a normal-looking suburb and people saw it in a movie theater, it freaked everyone the hell out. And it it was copied immediately by Friday the 13th. The guy who directed Friday the 13th saw it and was like, oh, naked girls... Drinking, sex, and murder. I can do that. He's a, he was a softcore porn director. <laughs> and he was like, all right, like kill the people that have sex and drink, leave the virgin alive. And it got muddled. Then that happened again with Nightmare on Elm Street, another huge franchise. And then Scream makes fun of that, which is why it's really good Wes Craven, because he's, he's even making fun of himself. Um but all of them have this trope of the final girl. All of them have the trope of the virgin survives. The, that, that's not even what John Carpenter was doing. They just saw it and completely muddled this formula and I think kind of ruined it for Halloween. Like, if you look at Jason and Michael Myers, their character design is almost exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, a huge guy, and it's, once again, hit the Friday the 13th director trying to, like, one up Michael Myers, he gives him a machete instead of a, mi- a knife. Right. And instead of a suburb, it's going to be something else that people know really well, and it's a, it's a camp, you know? It's a summer camp. Yeah, I love that this was in the suburbs. It reminded me of, I mean, we kind of experienced a little bit when we were super young, but nowadays, like, no one leaves their doors wide open and just like, goes out like that. No one leaves their their, right. their doors unlocked. Everything's like alarm secured and all that. And it was kind of it was nice to see like everyone just kind of like open free in that neighborhood. I mean that was kind of how my childhood was. I lived in like a um, a neighborhood where everyone kind of just like left their doors open. You walk out outside. There's no like uh, phones. Just like come back at six o'clock and like that's right. it. Right. Um, like your babysitting, you just like walk over with the kid to the next house. You don't have to like call the parents or anything like that. It was a very free environment, and that was, that was very nostalgic to watch. Um, but it's also perfect for a horror movie. And it also, I mean, well, obviously the world is not the same as it was, and bad stuff happens every day. And maybe it, maybe it is the same, but we're just more aware of it because of social media and the cover and news coverage and everything. Mm. 
But I think this movie definitely like had people more worried about like what was going on in their neighborhood or for, with their teenagers when they weren't around and like if mm. somebody out there could be like this. Um, I could totally see that like spooking people in real life. And another another thing is the the horror this this terrible event is happening in the suburbs no one comes to help this girl you that's another thing is you always think especially at this time period you're thinking like oh everybody's really neighborly and friendly she's knocking on somebody's door he looks out the window and turns the light on and she's like oh my god please help me open the door like call the police closes the window turns the light off yeah i was shocked by that i thought I, like in that time they would like totally open the door and like want to help but that, no, that was but, interesting i mean that's take. This has a bigger comment on, like, suburbia lifestyle than, like, teenage lifestyle. Um, uh, like, and people just saw the teenager stuff at the forefront and, like, ran with that. Like, this is 100% like, oh, yeah, you're friendly with your neighbors, but, like, if you're really in trouble, like, are they the ones that are going to help you? Like, Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with the, the doctor-cop relationship, too. Right. And the Myers house is in the neighborhood. Like, how it's like, how well do you really know your neighbors? Right. Like all this stuff. Um, and it's an, and you know, Deborah Hill grew up babysitter. Um, John Carpenter grew up in a small town. Like they know what it's like there. And that's something you, we, you, we talked outside of the pod. You said some of this stuff might not have aged as well. That stuff did mm-hmm. that stuff. A hundred percent did. Cause I think that's something that doesn't really go away necessarily. Like everyone understands what, like, even if you live in a city, I think from movies and stuff, you've seen it depicted so many times that you understand what it's supposed to be like. And honestly, a lot of the times, it's kind of a good representation of what it is like, because it's... I mean, it is like that, you know? I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up in a small town, but... No, yeah, I, I really liked how it took place in that type of setting. All right, so what did not age as well for you? I thought... Okay, one thing that it's gonna tick a lot of people off is I did not think the soundtrack was that great in this movie. <laughs> Bo took his headphones off. He's walking away. What? <laughs> what? Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. The iconic. Hear me out. John Carpenter may. Oh. Hear me out. Hear me out. I did. Okay, I thought it was it was good in the beginning. I thought it was fine, and I, I understood it. I get what it was for. But they repeated it way too much. It was the exact same score over and over again. And I was like, all right, I get it. It was getting annoying at some points. Towards the end, I started to get used to it. And I was like, okay, this is fine. But especially like in the middle section, when they kept repeating the same like four notes over and over again. I don't know. It, it, like I totally get what he was trying to do with it. But it was just, I don't know, it was too annoying for me. It was just distracting. Like he needed to switch it up in some points, you know? But it's just the same thing, the same piano notes and the same synth chords over and over again. I'm just like, okay, already. So I don't know. I, I didn't think it was, the, the music was bad. It's just I think it was repeated way too much. And that, this, I don't know, it distracted me. It took me out of it. I need a new partner. It's <laughs> um, my opinion, uh, man. It's iconic. I get that. And when I when I first heard it, I recognized it. Like I, I knew I've heard it from like other places before it's been used. But it just it was too annoying. Like it was the same thing over and over whenever he appeared. And like I get that they want to like keep a theme, but like movies do that now, but they switch it up a little bit. So it's something different and it's it's not the same. Do you get do you get tired of Jaws when they play the music too much? 
No, because Jaws, <laughs> they don't do it every, like, ten they minutes. They do it a good bit with the sharks off. <laughs> they do, they do. But that's, like, two, like, major scenes. But that's why it's whenever he to... pops up. Like, whenever his head is in a scene, the music starts. Well, that's an... That's another thing with this movie is that, like, the killer, like, is always there. It c- he could always be there. That's another, like, how well do you know your neighbors? And that's just a musical cue to give the, you the feeling of that. It, no, I think I, I think know. the feeling was definitely there. And uh, the, the sound was fine. It was just, it was too much. I just, they need to switch it up for me. That's just, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> oh, wow. I, this is something I did not know about the music. Some songs could be heard in the film, like soundtrack songs, you know? One being an untitled song performed by Carpenter and a group of his friends who formed a band called the Coupe de Ville's. So they have he put one of their songs in there. That's awesome. Nice. Um, but besides the music, um, all right. Well, first let me just say overall, I did like this movie. Uh, it's not. I'm not shitting on this movie. I'm just. I'm just uh, nitpicking it. Um, I took it a little <laughs> too seriously. I thought it was really good. I did a really good job of creating like atmosphere and suspense. Um, the jump scares were really good. I liked them. Um, the death scenes were cool, but also like weird. Like the whole thing with him putting the grave on the bed and like Annie lying on the bed. Like I didn't get it. Like what was the whole point of that? I'll talk to that. I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> um, I think the camera work, obviously, like we pointed out, the anamorphic lens was really nice. I love the sunset mm-hmm. through the car shots. The opening shot was incredible. Um, he used a lot of like steady cam, like a lot of movement, which was really cool. I really liked. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought a lot of the, like, scenarios they were put in were, like, so ridiculous. Like, when Annie's babysitting and she spills, like, butter on her shirt. And she's like, oh, I spilled butter. And then fully gets naked. Just takes off her, her pants, her, her shirt, like, everything. Just gets fully naked and puts on a robe. And then goes, does, go does, like, her laundry. Like, what? And then she gets her foot stuck in the thing when trying to escape. And it's like... It's, I mean, I guess it was a little cliche, but then I remember, like, this is one of the first ones that did this, so. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, some of the scenes were just, like, so ridiculous. Like, also, um, the doctor who was standing outside the house just, like, waiting for Myers to appear, then all of a sudden, like, while he's waiting there for hours, turns around and sees the car right there, his car. Like, he was standing out there for hours. He didn't see the, his car that was right there down the street. Um... Was it not that Myers had just parked it there recently? I don't know. I don't know. The, did they show that? They they don't show the time frames very well on what's happening, I don't think. Also, okay, uh, another thing that ticked me off in the beginning, when they were driving to the mental hospital, um, why are all the mental patients outside in the middle of the night and it's pouring rain? <laughs> did you not understand what happened there? No, I mean, I get that they're, they're just allowed to wander or whatever, no, I missed something. Yes, what I miss? That that's the first clue that something is wrong. Oh, that they like, like the, escaped. Yeah, Myers like broke out, and I think everybody was so preoccupied with trying to take him down, like they like they got they had gotten out. Like, uh, okay, but that's like that's that's the main gripe I have is like, I think there's too much mystery. Like they didn't reveal enough about Michael Myers for me to like, I don't know, piece everything together. Like he was a little too mysterious to me. I don't know, I just, like, I wanted to learn more about him so uh, I could be, I don't know, be scared more and just, like, or care about his character more, I guess. I think that this type of thinking is, and this is a whole other franchise and a whole other problem I have, I think this is, like, very much this type of thinking that, like, we need to know backstories of everybody is very much derived from, like, the prequels of Star Wars. 
and I love Star Wars, and I'm not like hating on the prequels, even though they're bad movies, and I still love them. Um, before anybody gets really really mad at me, um, I think this idea because look, like I said with the whole kid in the mental institution that Carpenter saw, the idea is that this kid is good lord. I almost knocked my mic over. It's pure evil for no reason at all. And that's all we really need to know about him. Like, there's nothing more to it. It's And it's not no reason at all. Some people think he's possessed. Some people think he has, like, mental problems. Like, Well, I think the reason but, why they do backstories is because so people can relate to the characters more. Because if you can't relate to them, you, you don't care about them as much, you know? But I do, I do understand the mystery behind just not having any backstory at all and just kind of wondering and being in that space where you just have no idea why his character is acting the way he is. I don't think you're supposed to relate to Michael Myers. You're supposed to relate to Lori and her friends. And here's the thing. They don't know anything about him either. All they know is for some reason is that he, they know he's trying to kill them. And I think that's another point, too, is with the, all these serial killers that were happening at the time like Ted Bundy and the Zodiac Killer was somewhat recent and all this stuff and it was very fresh in people's minds um sometimes there is no reason sometimes people just kill people to pe kill people they're evil they're bad and that's what Michael Myers is he's just bad yeah I guess I just didn't realize that going in I just think that they like explained that enough um I mean I, I don't know if they need to say I, it blatantly but I don't know I saw it the whole time I was just like waiting to like get something more about him because I, don't know. I think I think Loomis says something along those lines, like, he is the embodiment of evil. Like, he is just, e like, he says, like, I tried to help him when he was young. I tried to see what was wrong with him, but I couldn't get, I'm not even reading a direct quote. I feel like this is something. No, he did say says. that, yeah. He said he was working with him uh, for, like, 10 years and then gave 50, up. Okay, here it is. I found it. I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death or good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the black set eyes, blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized to what, to, I, oh God, because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Mm. Okay. I mean, I do get it. I don't know. I, I just, it left me too confused, I guess. Like, I didn't get why he was going after those specific girls, why he laid out the bodies like that. Like, I don't know. There's too much mystery for me. So I will say the, he, he rips out his sister's tombstone and puts it over Linda's head. And I think that is purely just, I wouldn't say symbolic, um, I think she looked like she, well, he chose them because he saw Lori go up to the house and put the key under the mat while he was in there. You see his head move into the window Yeah. and then he tailed her for the entire day. So he, she, they were always his targets and he was saving Lori for last. I don't know. I think that's because, because he was the, well, actually, mm, also because, he walked so slow. Oh my God. They, they, but it's like these awesome. characters are booking it, and I'm just like, hurry up, dude! You're losing this guy. Like but he easily could have killed Lori, but he was just so slow. He always slow. got there, but he always got there in the end. He's except he, with Lori. I mean, he stabbed her. He got to the closet. I guess, but he if, if he walked a through. little faster and was a little more aggressive, he could have easily killed her. Um, 
I think, uh, yeah. But I think that's also supposed to be, that's another, no matter what, he doesn't need to go fast. He's going to get you. Mm, yeah. He's going, to, It's and it's he, Nick Castle, for a reason, walked slowly and walked along to a certain beat. And, like, I, it added to it, and it adds to the mythos of Michael Myers. That's what it, I mean, he is, like, a mythological being. He is not a person to understand. That's the point, is you don't understand it. Yeah, and, I, I think that's just what confused me the whole movie, but... Right. I, I think that's a symptom of, like, all this... All, like, everything now, I think, has, like, a really deep backstory and all this lore, especially, like, with all these franchises and stuff. So I think this movie was also meant to be a one-off. Like, there's a sequel. But the oh, stuff really? that happens in this... Yeah, the mm. stuff that happens in the sequel... Like, the sequel picks up, like, right where that movie ends. Um... It wasn't, like, meant to be made. They, like, saw how successful it was and was like, okay, we'll, we'll do another one. But the producers did. Carpenter was like, I don't want to do another one. Okay. And he made one, and he wasn't happy about it. He wanted Halloween to be more of an anthology series of stuff happening on this night. And it very much is about, like, evil spirits that might come out on Halloween night. But the sequel, actually, I think is worth a watch. Um, it's not as good. And it plays with the it plays with the mythos a lot more and you'd learn a lot more about it um yeah i think i'm gonna check out the second one you should you you, you will appreciate that one a lot and also the kills are really good nice. i like it a lot yeah i'll really take it a little bit i'll take it a little bit less serious this time around too um so some of the nitpicks and stuff uh i've mentioned the, so the budget was three hundred thousand dollars that number on imdb was not wrong but half of it was spent on the cameras yeah it makes sense they use those um, nice lenses, baby. 20,000 20, of it went to Donald Pleasance for five days of work. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis only got paid 8000 Like, Well, yeah, she was a nobody it, at the time. Well, yeah, but also they didn't have the money to pay her. Right, they didn't, right. Um, actor, all the actors wore their own clothes. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis went to JCPenney and spent $100 on Laurie Strode's outfit. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a college film. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much is. I mean, it's really fresh out of college for John Carpenter. And, um, you know, I mean, it's him and his buddies make a student film that happened to become one of the most influential movies of all time. Yeah, and I totally understand and respect how much influence this movie has had over the years of horror. You should watch Assault on Precinct 13. That's um, the first... There He... Carpenter did movie did a movie called Dark Star. It's super weird. Like that was his first movie. Like not not worth it. I would um, a hundred percent check out Assault on Precinct Thirteen. It's really good. Okay. Um. Yeah, and everyone involved ended up having super successful careers. Nick Castle ended up directing movies. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis obviously became Jamie Lee Curtis. Deborah Hill became a really successful producer. Um, Donald Pleasance was already famous. Uh, Tony Moran, I think, ended up directing too. Uh, these, I mean, these were all just like the, his college friends and his girlfriend. Like, just like let's make a movie. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's definitely and it's, super fun. It's the Hollywood dream. Oh, one other nitpick I had was this is kind of okay. like the the dumb, <laughs> but this is a cliche. I don't think it came from this movie, but just horror characters just being dumb just to be dumb um when um who is the person with the doctor in the car going to the mental hospital she's like a nurse or something yeah whatever that nurse was when the nurse saw 
um, Michael Myers jump on the car. She purposely rolls down her window. Like, ooh, I wonder who that was. Yeah. Let me peek at my head out. <laughs> like, what? That's the dumbest thing yeah. you could possibly do in that situation. She um, opens a window and peeks her head out instead of locks the doors. <laughs> I always chalk that up to, um, like, panic and confusion. Yeah. yeah, but she seems so calm. She was, like, curious almost. She was like, oh, what was that? It's not as bad as, like, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies where they make some really, really bad choices in those movies. Um, no, like, obviously, a lot of characters do, like, dumb stuff, especially when you're no, the no, audience watching it I'm from not the defending background. it. Um, I'm just saying, I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's just... I'm just not, saying that's how I think about it. Yeah. No, it's not a bad perspective, but, not, yeah, it's just like, what is this lady doing? Come on. You yeah. literally saw him jump on your car. And you know he's in my mental hospital. And it's pouring right out. (laughs) Never a good call. Yeah. Never a great call. Um, I'm glad you finally seen this movie. I remember I watched it, I think, probably around a year ago. Um, And I texted you and I was like, hey, watch this movie. Yeah, I remember you hyping it up. One of my other friends. (laughs) One of my other friends, this is his favorite movie of all time. And he's been telling me for like years now to watch it. I'm like, all right, this is the year. This is. This is in my uh, letterbox, like, on my favorite movies. It's, like, Heat, Halloween, Mad Max, and The Godfather. Nice. And, I mean, that rotates a lot. Obviously, those uh, those are four of my favorite movies. Um, Have I told you? This is going to be a shock. You haven't seen The Godfather? Yeah. (laughs) I have not seen The Godfather. And, at this point, I've gone to the point where... That's almost like a talking point. Like, I'm not watching it just to not watch it. Because people's reactions are so funny when I tell them that. You're a film buff and you haven't seen The Godfather? Oh. They freak out. I'm just like, no, nah, I haven't yet. So now I'm just purposely not watching it. See how long I can Goodfellas? go for. I have, yeah. Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies okay. of all time. I love that movie. Well, guess what? Heavily inspired by The Godfather. And I'm sure The Godfather is amazing and I'm not like dissing it in any sense, but it's just funny at this point that I haven't seen it yet, so I might as well just keep it going. But I will watch that movie eventually because I need to. Well, guess what? Um... I'm going to make it a pod for that soon. Like, <laughs> All right. Gonna, like, That's going to be my time. It's either going to be like we're going to watch it or like I'm going to put it in like a contract that like everyone <laughs> who comes on the pod has to have seen The Godfather. <laughs> going to pop my um, Godfather cherry. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, more like this on IMDb. The only one, the first two at least that aren't connected to the uh, Halloween franchise are Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Um I, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street at least does it a little differently, but Friday the 13th is just like, we're going to take this movie, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it worse. Right, so I got, a, I got a question about Halloween, actually. Where did his okay. mask come from? Like, what was the origin of that? Um, do you, like, what do you mean? Like, like did he just come like, out of the hospital? Like, how did they make it? Like, no, did, oh. did he, like, come out of the hospital? Like, I'm talking in the movie. He'd come out of the hospital, like, go to the Halloween <laughs> store, grab a mask or something, and throw it on? He, so he gets the jump, he comes out of the hospital, takes the car, uh, he actually ditches his, the boss, he ditches the boss's car, the, or the doctor's car, remember, they find it, and he takes that guy's car who's in the jumpsuit, and they find naked in the, in the field or whatever, on the side of the road, takes that guy's jumpsuit, takes that guy's car, takes the station wagon, you know, gets out of there, and then he breaks into the department store that the dad the police officer right, was investigating right. and they said they took a he, the guy who came in took like rope and knives and a halloween mask right i forgot about that yeah good point so i'm guessing it's like the the 
local department store put out Halloween masks for Halloween time. Yeah. No, no, maybe it's, it's, a, a, it's a creepy mask. It does a yeah. job. Do you know what it is? What do you mean, what it is? What the mask is. A mask? It's a Captain Kirk mask. It's a William Shatner mask. Oh, so it was like a pre-made thing. Like, they didn't make it for the movie. They they bought it for, like, two bucks. Because, once again, they made everything. Like, that was a prop. They couldn't buy cheap. They made... Um, they bought that mask and, like, spray-painted it. And, like, roughed it up and made it look terrifying. Yeah, it looks great. So... So good, good news for William Shatner. He's one of the most. He's one of the most horrifying horror, like horror movie symbols of all time. One of the most iconic, scary things ever. For two bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Um, they like widen the eye holes on it and stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that reminded the, me. I love the scene where, <laughs> where uh, he kills the. I forget the guy's name, but the one he stabs into the the cabinet. I think it's Brad. Um. And then he goes upstairs, oh, yeah. puts a blanket on, cuts the eye holes out, and puts the guy's glasses on. He did <laughs> not cut eye him. holes out. They're I thought he did. I just, no, I just watched it. There were no eye holes. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure I saw uh, eye holes. I'm 100% there's no eye holes. Uh, I thought there was, but whatever. I'm, I'm Googling Michael Myers in the sheet right now. I thought that was so funny when he just stood there and stared at her. There are no eye holes. What? I swear I saw eye holes. Oh, wait! There are eye holes! Yeah, I knew there were. Oh, they're covered by the glasses at some time, at some points. Yeah, he, like, cut eye holes out. That was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and that's another, so... I you want the fall how, 110% to spook this girl. <laughs> um, that's another thing I was gonna mention. Uh, they... Obviously, James Carpenter is very inspired by um, Alfred Hitchcock as was Ari Aster. That's a common thing with horror directors is that they're going to look to the greatest horror director of all time or one of the best ever and try and pay homage. Um, Psycho Man and like other horror movies of his, they're, they're funny at times. He puts in some really dark humor in them. Like there's like, there's some kills in Psycho that are supposed to be funny. And like yeah, and I think on Halloween they were supposed to be too a little bit. There were some that a hundred percent were supposed to be funny. I think the Linda kill, the him putting on the stuff is supposed to be like not only is this guy like terrifying and messed up, he's got a dark twisted sense of humor about it somehow too. Yeah, I'm looking. I looked it up now, and I guess that's a costume you can buy the Michael Myers yeah. ghost costume with the glasses. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, it's so great. I absolutely adore this movie. No, yeah, I enjoyed it, and it kept me intrigued enough to want to watch the second one, so. Watch Halloween 2, and then when you go watch the 2018 one, forget about Halloween 2, because it does not play any factor at all. <laughs> but definitely, like, finish what John Carpenter had, not planned for it, but the way he wanted to finish it since he was forced to. Yeah, makes sense. Um, And then, but... You know, uh, the t 2018 one that came out, it was directed by David Gordon Green, and it was also written by David Gordon Green and uh, Danny McBride. Really? Yeah, because they were friends, like, I think they were growing up. They, they were friends when they were growing up, and uh, or maybe when they got a little bit Danny older. Danny McBride is such a, an odd choice for that. Well, they had, they wrote it together because they had, like, a love of Halloween, and Danny McBride comes on... Amy Nicholson's pod 
for the ringer and talks about the 2018 one and it's so interesting just like he loved the like halloween was the movie you try and like rent but like not let your parents know and you would watch it with your friends on a friday night like when you were like 12 because you know you weren't allowed to see it and they wanted to recapture all of that and yeah, I don't um, mind, like, obviously we shit on sequels and reboots or whatever, but I don't mind for this type of movie that they, they keep rebooting and making sequels or whatever because they're more paying homage than trying yeah. to make, like, a sequel or just rebooting it just to reboot it. So like, all these, David all the, mostly the, all the directors, like, care about the original right. and John Carpenter and just want to pay homage to it and have fun with it. So David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, like, went to John Carpenter after they wrote it and were like, we're not making this unless you say it's okay. Unless mm-hmm. you say you like what we have. And we also want you to be a part of it somehow. So he did the music. Oh, nice. Um, which might not, you might not like that, but a lot of people do. So they use the same <laughs> freaking theme in all of these movies. I mean, yeah, they're going to use the same theme. Do uh, they use the star Wars theme in all of the movies? Like, what are you talking yes, about? Yes, but they use, they use it once. They use it once. <laughs> no, no. They use many different Star Wars themes multiple times throughout the s- different movies. They use the main one once during the credits, and then you never hear it again. Until the end credits. And then, um... But look... Halloween, you hear it every ten minutes. But it's there's so jarring. That, and that's also on purpose. They wanted... they, they di- It's like the kind of Indiana Jones thing. They wanted a scare every ten minutes. So, of course, they're going to play the, the theme music for a character every ten minutes. Luke's theme plays in A New Hope, like, 25 times. And I never complained once, because I love it. But that's more subtle. Like, it, it's like strings, and it's very melodic. But this is supposed to put you on edge, and probably annoy you a little bit, and, like, make you aware that it's there. Yeah, but the annoyance of it took me out of, like, the horror suspense of it. Okay. For me. <laughs> what are you going to see this weekend? Um, what is, oh, I'm going to see The Last Duel. Um, yeah. Ridley Scott. That should be fun. My parents want to see it, surprisingly. So, I'm going to go with them. Um, um, your I'm, parents are probably, like, I mean, right right in the swing of Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, I imagine. So. I mean, yeah, my mom's a huge fan of Caught Goodwill that, Hunting. Yeah. So, um, right, yeah. Of course they're going to see it. Yeah. Um, and I'm also going to check out the documentary called The Rescue, which comes out this weekend, which is about mm-hmm. um, the 12 guys and the coach who were trapped in the cave the flooded cave in thailand oh yeah um that happened in what 2018 2019 like two years ago or something like that um i know i remember hearing about that case obviously it was huge and all over the news it's international news um but i never like really got into the details of it so i'm really curious like what actually happened during that because i heard it was crazy and super intense um and Jimmy Chin directed it, who did Free Solo, which I love mm-hmm. Free Solo, one of my uh, favorite documentaries. So I'm really excited to see what he does with this one. Wow, that'll, that'll be really cool. I didn't know that was coming out. Um, like I mentioned, I'm going to see the new Halloween, and yep. I cannot wait. Um, you're going to beat me to the last duel. I don't know if I'm going to be able to see it this weekend. I think the earliest I'll be able to see it is Monday. You should see I- Titan over the last duel. <sighs> yeah, I got, I got to catch up on that too, man. I'm... You know, it's tough having the. You're number seeing one all the, the the I'm franchise, the franchise movies. Stuff. Yeah, I know. You're not supporting also, the indie movies. I know. I need shame to. on both. And, um, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, uh, no, you're right. Shame on me. But also, like, I only have time for like 
one no, movie yeah, a exactly. week. Exactly. People don't have the time to go to the theaters multiple times a week. I totally I mean I would I would go on Saturdays. Uh I probably I don't have time this Sunday, but I can't go on Saturdays because, you know, I get, University of Georgia is the number one football team in the nation. I got to go watch some games. Yeah, you're also in college. I'm an old man who's graduated, so I got a little more time yeah. in my hands. You're, you're still having fun, so I totally got it. I mean, I got to watch every game before we win a national championship. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, try to see Titan, And same with the, the audience listening, too. Please see that maybe, movie. They're doing an Oscar maybe. run, so they might even get nominated for an Oscar. I highly doubt it, but we'll see if they can maybe. pull it off. Maybe on Monday I'll like go to a th- the movie theater and then like sneak into the last duel after I see Titanic. Mm. I've never done that before. I remember like I've done it like talk- once, I think. I would feel too bad, like especially with movie theaters struggling. Like, well, they've always been struggling. Like at all now, yeah. Time. Now I feel totally bad. I did it as like yeah. a kid, like once, I think. I think the I've, the only time I've kind of done that is one time, uh, my friends and I. It was me and two of my buddies in high school from my basketball team, and we went to they wanted to see wonder woman and i had already seen it and i was like all right y'all go see wonder woman <laughs> pirates of the caribbean 4 is playing hey. at the same time and i went and saw pirates of the caribbean 4 by myself and it was bad I but did you pay movie. for wonder woman no i paid for pirates of the caribbean 4 it was playing oh, at the okay, exact okay. same time and then i went and saw like the last 15 minutes of wonder woman gotcha. with my buddies. um but, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, bad movie. I should have gone to see Wonder Woman again. Yeah, I remember I did a double feature. I forget um, what the two movies were. But I paid for the first one. And the second one was starting right after that I just walked right into the theater. Like, there's no like, point in going right. back and paying and then going back to the theater. Like, it was right there. So I was like, all right, you I'm didn't going get, right in. You, you didn't go get more popcorn? Uh, maybe. But, I mean, that's just like walking to the popcorn stand and then walking into the theater because I know where it was. But Next, now, uh, but now they're they're uh, they're pretty good because I don't know in your theaters, but the theaters near me they don't put the name of the movie that's playing next to the theater, so you have no idea what movie's playing in what theater. You know, you have to like actually buy a ticket to see what theater it's playing in. No, we don't know. We have the names on there. Oh, see, I mine took them off because I guess uh, people were people doing were it too doing much. That. Yeah. Um, we need to ask Paul Shear this, and we're, don't don't answer. But uh, we're we're gonna wait to have this conversation with Paul Shear. I want to do uh, movie best movie snacks, mm, or yeah. if you even if you even do movie snacks, because I know some people don't. We'll table that for next week. Um, like we which, said before, the the movie theaters are a restaurant business. They're a food business. Yes, they are a food business, and um, some of them even like my local one has a restaurant and bar attached to it. Yep, same. It's a very common thing now. All right. Um, I mean, I think that about does it for me. You got anything left? Uh, no. Thanks for forcing me to finally watch this movie. You needed to. There, there's a few more I need to force you to watch, too. Yeah, we'll get around to it. <laughs> um, like I said, Paul Shear on next week. Yes, uh, discussing the, the thing, thing. Next week, you've, if y'all listen to the show, you had two weeks to watch this. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I assume most people have Amazon Prime just because... <laughs> They need to get their packages quickly. I saw it on um, Stars, I think, too. If you is it on Stars? stars? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, I think more people have Prime than Stars. Yeah. But <laughs> great. Good shout. Um, all right. Remember to follow us on ABC, at ABC Show, ABC Movie Show on Twitter, if I can speak. Um, I'm at BillAllen22 on Twitter. At JRodier416. Uh, we post updates on our socials and the account and the pods social um and we have plugs to our letterbox and all our good movie stuff all around there 
thanks for joining me again, Jacob. Glad you saw the movie. Till next time, my man.